We've heard about how the California gold rush was a global phenomenon, drawing Argonauts from Asia, Europe, South America, Australia, and the U.S. So it should be no surprise that the mining camps could be pretty diverse. Large numbers of uh, Chilean, Mexican, uh, European, particularly French miners, later Chinese miners. Um, and, of course, also it was home to uh, indigenous people in this area, primarily Miwok Indians. This is historian Susan Lee Johnson. While the miners came from all over the world, most had one thing in common. They were all men. Out in the mines, the population was 97% male. And those men had to adjust to a world without women. Who was going to do the domestic work um, in virtually all of the, um, uh, the immigrant populations, Anglo-American, uh, uh, Chinese, French, Chilean, Mexican, this was work that was generally done by women. Uh, so men had to take up this work themselves, and they came up with really innovative ways to do this, created cook weeks where, uh, you know, in a, a, a group of men who lived in a tent or cabin together, um, one man would, would do that work for a week and then turn it over to, to another man. Um, but also um, men... Uh, sometimes hired other men to do this work for them. So as Chinese started to move into the mines, uh, uh, they filled a niche um, and, and, and became um, laundry workers. And laundry was not work that uh, men did in South China. This was a, a California phenomenon. Hmm. Um, they also, uh, men also started to associate certain kinds of skills with different groups. So French men were known as being particularly good cooks. So Anglo-American men uh, tended to sort of feminize French men in the way that they talked about them and their, their domestic skills. So it was, um, in, in gender terms, it was sort of a world turned upside down. And also because uh, when, when one is living in a world... Uh, turned upside down, one talks about it, one writes about it. Right. So it's something that's very easy to research because men in their letters home to their loved ones, in their diaries, comment on this because it is so different than uh, what's what they're used to. But that's a long time, uh, really, for there not to be many women around. What, what was the consequence of that for camp life? Well, um they would have had to create their own leisure world by getting up dances, maybe just with a fiddle, and sometimes men would create a female dancing partner by just designating a man who had a patch on his pants as uh, the female partner for a dance. And there is uh, considerable evidence of, of um, intimacy uh, between men um, that uh, at a time when homosexuality as a category of human experience didn't really exist. Right. Um, I don't mean to suggest that the California Goldrush was some sort of queer paradise. It, it was not. Um, certainly, uh, same-sex intimacy was considered a, a sin or a vice, but not a particular 
kind of sin hmm. or or vice, kind of the same, not not so different as uh, sex outside of marriage. Um, so there were there was a lot of sin and a lot of vice, and this was just another option. So you talked before about how people would describe this and write letters home. I'm assuming they didn't talk about this as much, or did they talk about it in sort of different kind of language? Well, they talked about it, but it was it, it generally when they were writing home to, especially to when men were writing to their female relatives, it was never the man writing the letter who was engaged in this behavior. It was <laughs> right. always other men who yeah. were doing these things. Um, once in a while, a, a, a man writing to a brother or a male friend would uh, intimate that um, things were pretty wild in California, but uh, generally... Um, when men wrote about these things, they were um, talking about other men engaging them in them. Now, sometimes men did write about these things in their diaries. Um, right. It's kind of needle in a haystack uh, work to try to find these uh, these passages in diaries, but uh, but they are there. And certainly, there you know it's evident in, for example, divorce records because sometimes. Uh, women would join their husbands and their husbands would head to California. Uh, wives would come, you know, a year, two, three, four years later, find that their husbands had in, been engaged in visiting brothels or, right. or even in one case a, a woman accused her uh, husband of, of sleeping with men um, and they weren't very happy about this. So sometimes in divorce records one sees evidence of what has gone on in the absence of uh, of uh, of wives um, before they arrive in California. So you describe this uh, really kind of a freewheeling society that begins there soon after gold is discovered. How long does that maintain that form? I mean, I when I think about the gold rush, I think of a, of a gold rush decade from about 1848 to 1858. Uh-huh. But the 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 really freewheeling period lasts about half that long uh-huh. so you know maybe about about 5 years so it it's very short lived what's interesting though is that this pattern uh kind of repeats itself all over the west for another 50 years all the way up to you know Alaska and right. actually in parts of Canada you know for a good half century Susan Lee Johnson is a historian at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. She's the author of Roaring Camp, The Social World of the California Gold Rush. 